0: Welcome, Screensavers. I'm Michael Gallett. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. We are the Silver Screen for Ga- <laughs> Ow! Oh! Oh! Savers! For anybody who is new listening to us, that'll be the only time that that ever happens. I apologize for your ears. It was requested that I do that. Don't act like you didn't like doing it. I did like doing it, but, you know, people have have sensitive ears but today we're talking about somebody who did that better than i did someone who has amazed us into most every kind of film genre there is and that's of course nicholas cage we're going to discuss his career leading up to the new incredibly meta the unbearable weight of massive talent but first as always weekly watch list matt what have you been watching this week I've been watching a lot of Nick Cage movies, like, a, I've been trying to get a whole bunch
1: in that I haven't seen before, and Lovely. looking at this outline, I still only really scratched the surface, but that's okay. I saw some solid ones, and one not as solid one toward the end, which we'll get into. Um, besides that, I watched a film on Netflix called Metal Lords. It's directed yeah. by Peter Solette. Um So the description goes, For teenage misfits Hunter and Kevin, who are played by Adrian Greensmith and Jaden Martell, um, the path to glory is clear. Devote themselves to metal. Win battle of the bands and be worshipped like gods. I gotta say, it wasn't bad. It was a very solid teen coming of age comedy, but put through like a metal inspired lens. It was I played out kind of like an R-rated version of, like, a School of Rock spinoff. Yeah. Um, pretty low stakes, considering a lot of the stakes that we see in film these days with all the Marvel movies and all that. It's just pretty simple, low stakes. Teen comedy. You know, they go through the typical hero's journey. They get a valuable lesson at the end, all that good stuff. Um... It does fall into a lot of cliches. You know, they're going through their journey. They're facing the out-of-touch adults that just don't understand metal. You get the conformist peers that only want to listen to, you know, pop music and all that. Girlfriend drama, etc. There's not a whole lot here that hasn't been done before, but I appreciate them trying, at least. Ultimately, it was a pretty harmless watch. A nice little over 90 minutes. Nothing too too uh, much of a commitment to watch. It was nice. Um, it was also produced by the Game of Thrones guys. Dave... Uh, what, is it, what are they Benny called? Benny Weiss. Benny Off and Weiss, yeah.
2: Boo!
1: <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and Tom Morello, among other people. Which, oh, cool. I think that was honestly the biggest draw about this for me was that Tom Morello produced it because... I am a huge fan of his, and he's probably one of my favorite guitarists of all time. So that was fun. Yeah. But like I said, ultimately it was nothing super special, but it was nice, like, solid, easy to watch, nothing too high stakes. And it was it was a good, like, if you're a fan of the genre, I'd say it's worth checking out for sure. Um, Yeah, so that was Metal Lord's.
0: Yeah, I, I saw the I watched the clip for this the trailer and I was very fascinated. I wasn't like entirely sure of the tone that they were going for, but it it's cool that there's something like so specific of a film um, that's mm-hmm. not necessarily trying to appeal to everybody. I'm sure there's somebody in the world who like flipped out because they love this movie so much. So that that kind of thing makes me happy. All right, you watch anything else? No, that was about it. Tyler, you're up.
2: Uh, so I also watched a few Nicolas Cage movies uh, this week, but I also watched a movie called uh, I Don't Feel at Home in This World Anymore, which is, this is Macon Blair's directorial debut. He starred in movies such as Blue Ruin and The Green Room. Um, and this movie is just, it's like about a woman who's burglarized, so she teams up with her neighbor, played by Elijah Wood, Melanie Linsky plays the woman. Um, and teams up to go after the people that burglarized her and it ends up being like they go up against these criminals and it just becomes all of a sudden this wild, crazy, gory, funny movie that's just off the rail and nuts and I recommend it a
0: lot. Sweet. Yeah. I always looked at that one too and never watched it yet so I might check that out. Um, I have a triple new director spotlight for you guys. Only one that is from this year though one from this year is I finally watched Turning Red, the new Pixar film. Uh, this is about a middle school girl who, because of family history, turns into a giant red panda whenever she experiences intense emotions. This is directed by Domi Shi. Um, she was the director of Bao, the very heart-wrenching Pixar short from a few years ago and she is the first solo female director of a Pixar feature film and was for the short film as well um and she did a fantastic job she wrote this with Julia Cho and this movie is fantastic it really is it's you know i think some people get sick of like Pixar being fantastic if you know what i mean but like it's still special to me every time i've loved the new Pixar onward luca all those stuff, and this one is no exception. The good Guys, this one's even, yeah. Stop. stop. <laughs> listen, listen. Right now, I'm not gonna spend too much time on this. There needs to be a conversation about the good dinosaur because nobody knows that it exists, I, and I don't understand. It's a mystery to me. But anyway, you didn't mention not, Soul either. No Soul too, but turning red, so enjoyable. It's funny. It's insightful about denying certain parts of yourself, maybe embracing some of the uglier or what they say is ugly sides of yourself. This is really like a fresh new direction for Pixar. The editing style, the shot composition, much more kinetic, much more modern, seems to be much more informed by the modern age than Pixar has been previously. It's also more mature than pretty much every other Pixar film in that it's targeted more at a young teen audience. Um, you know, the the main characters are like 13 years old and they are going through pubescent adolescent issues. The main metaphor um, is is certainly there but that's not the only thing that's there. I still think kids would enjoy this. I still think adults will enjoy this but it is very specific um, to that, that tween age group, that early teen age group and I think that's one of its strengths. I recommend anyone check this out Uh, A great blend of traditional Pixar structure while sending this studio into the future. And I think we'll have a further conversation about Pixar when Lightyear comes out in next month. Yeah, next month. Uh, I also watched The Rental. This is on Netflix. It's about two young couples who rent a home in the country and must decide what to do when a misunderstanding leads to violence. This is directed... Not by none other than dave franco this was from 2020 so it's a couple of years ago and it was written by him and joe swanberg i was quite impressed by this it's very unique in that it traverses multiple genres across its runtime it starts as a relationship drama moves to a crime thriller and ends up as a really creepy horror movie and it does all of them really well there's a really intriguing mystery at the center of this it has a really daring ending and i liked it a lot so i would i would check that out again that's on netflix i was gonna say um i'm glad it was from the franco brother that we don't have to censor okay (laughs) let's just (laughs) let's leave it at that (laughs) and lastly guys i watched a movie called zombievers can you guess what this is about is this a zombie stripper movie? Zombie? No, not that kind of beef. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking too hard. You're getting too hard. <laughs> He's,
1: hey, you gotta be down to bone on this podcast. Okay? We're all, so, always down
0: to <laughs> <yeah>. bone. <laughs> this movie is about... Three couples on a vacation. They run into zombie beavers. That's what the movie is. is I think think you watched the wrong movie. (laughs) No, I did not. This is the one. Uh, Jordan Rubin directed this. This is from like 2014, so this is several years ago now. Written by him, Al Kaplan, and John Kaplan. It's a fun B-movie where they throw out a bunch of fun facts about beavers. There's weird special effects. A guy's getting his foot chomped off. Bill Burr is in this like, <laughs> right in the beginning. And I'm like, "What? what's going on? And, you know, I, I couldn't find a connection between him and, and anybody else. But he's funny in it. Um, I was shocked to see it. If you're a B-horror movie person, this is right up your alley with the wonderful environmental statement that if we don't take care of the environment, there might be... Be beavers that become zombies, and nobody wants that. So thank you to Zombievers for that wonderful message. Shh. This is on Tubi, by the way, if you're interested. Let's go, Tubi. Yeah, and don't watch what Tyler was suggesting. <laughs> yes, right. I don't even know if that's a real movie. <laughs> I'm pretty sure like in the suggested right after I watched Zombievers was like Zombie Stripper Party or something like that. <laughs>
1: You know, speaking of B movies on Tubi, I started watching Troll Two on Tubi the other day. That, so that was, but I didn't finish <laughs> it. So that was like a half a weekly watch. How far did you get? I got to the famous line, and I couldn't believe that I it took a half hour to get there.
0: And was that? Did you just tap out on purpose?
1: Yeah, I was. I was all set with that. After that, uh, yeah. Um, the famous line being, um, hang on, let me do this. They're eating her. And then they're going to eat me. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It was good. Um, Save yourself a half hour of your time and just listen to that impression I just did. Or look it up on YouTube. I don't care. Um, Yeah, that's about as far as I got in Troll 2.
0: Here's a movie I'm not saying no to. We're going to move to a, a couple of trailer. Well, one trailer and one teaser thing. The trailer is for Don't Worry Darling. This is the second feature from Olivia Wilde after her much acclaimed debut from 2019, Book Smart. This has Florence Pugh, Olivia Wilde's in it. Here's styling. Um, and this is about some suburbanites who, the wives stay at home, everything is picturesque, and then they start to discover that maybe not if everything is so great. Poor description on my part, because <laughs> that does sound like a movie that we've seen nine billion times before, but let me tell you this, guys, this is a very unique experience. I was watching this trailer, it started out. I'm like, yeah, I feel like we've seen this thing nine million times before. And then like all the crazy stuff starts happening. I see this. The production design looks very impressive. The direction looks impressive. I don't know what happened to me when I was watching this, but I it was like I took a hit of something. I was high off of this. I'm re- I said, put me in the theater right now and let me watch this. I don't know. I was so enthusiastic after I watched it. I want it right now.
1: What about you guys? I'm I'm really happy for you that that you had that reaction because I Tell me. unfortunately did not. And I'm a big fan of Florence Pugh. I love Florence Pugh. Um, but something about the part where the random guy was chasing down the protagonist with a manila envelope full of papers. It just didn't really... It didn't really strike me. <laughs> Clearly you've never been served. <laughs> no, but, no, but I don't know. It just... I'm not gonna not see it if it's in the schedule. I definitely want to see it. I'm intrigued enough where I'll go check it out. But again, like you said, it kind of feels like we've seen this before. I mean, ha- name a movie that has an idyllic society and a shadow organization where one resident starts to question their idyllic society and discovers that yeah. shadow organization.
0: No, you're you're a thousand percent right, but- and it's gonna ha- it's gonna have to do some heavy lifting to get beyond our expectations of that
2: see i'm i'm kind of happy to report that i have a very middle of the road opinion from both of you and i was like oh this is a cool mystery i I, i'd like to tune in and see what the mystery is i wasn't blown (laughs) away but i didn't think it was awful and i'll go see it i didn't think it was awful either i'm just saying i'm not really i'm not i like i'm not getting my hopes uh, i like a movie that i could watch the trailer and be like oh there's a cool mystery there i'm curious to see how that plans out or plays out
1: you didn't get that with Multiverse of Madness? No, it's just like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my response. <laughs> that's remember
2: a cool when mystery, we watched right?
0: Werewolves Within.
2: Yes, I do remember Werewolves Within. Uh,
0: I didn't get it from that. No, not. <laughs> I, don't <know> why that, <laughs> that's, I don't know why that popped into my head, but it did. Uh, this is coming out in, I want to say September sometime. Does that sound about right? Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> Yeah, well, whatever it's coming out, I'm there like opening day. I don't even know how to explain this, but something happened to me watching that trailer, and I wasn't expecting it to. Uh, Matt, you wanted to talk about this other teaser. What, What was it? It was Weird, the Al Yankovic story, starring Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al Yankovic. Yeah, and this is a Roku original movie, correct? <laughs> that, that was yes. the
2: weirdest part of the trailer for me. Where it's like Roku TV at the end. I'm like, what? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to knock it because, you know, Netflix had to have their first. Th- remember Bright? Remember when Bright came out? I remember maybe there was some before, but to me that was like, oh, this is like a movie you can only watch on Netflix.
2: Fun fact about Bright and this is this is mean, and I don't mean it to be, but I just I just see this tweet every once in a while, and I just get a chuckle out of it. The screenwriter wrote like a year and a half before it came out that he just finished the script for Bright, and it's gonna be his Star Wars.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, that's mean. I just find that. Wait, I, he t- tweeted that out about his script? Yeah, as soon
2: as he finished the well, script. <laughs> I,
0: come on, you don't call your shot. <laughs>
1: I think you know what, it, I think though? it was
2: like uh this could be my star. It's not like a guarantee no. just like uh, it
1: could. No. And then and then you know, the break. <laughs> you know what though? There's going to be a pretty massive void once Netflix goes under. Roku could easily fill it. Is there going to be the I feel like there's a thousand streaming services. <laughs> it's not even going to be a void. <laughs> oh okay, well, a void a big void relative to Roku TV. Yeah.
0: Mm. It's true. I, I I won't knock Roku. Um, I'm a Roku owner. You guys like Daniel Radcliffe as Weird Al? Yeah, he seemed he seemed pretty solid. Like
1: as good of as good of a pick as I guess anything. They didn't really give us much of him to judge it on. So
2: by looks and like the one or two lines he had, sure. I mean, the yeah, costume I, design looked
1: like it was on point.
0: I know this flies in the face of our whole modern system of constantly constantly generating buzz and attention but can we can the teaser go extinct i agree can, can it be done 100 yeah i don't need a teaser then a trailer then a second trailer then a third i've already trailer. made up my mind and a tv if, spot if that see it. yeah yeah although then, then again i you know we are people who are going to see these movies anyway so maybe that's needed for some people who aren't decided i don't know It's egregious when Marvel does it, though, because, like, there are very few people in this
1: day and age right now that are going to not be seeing a Marvel movie. And then they see the sixth trailer for Doctor Strange and be like, oh, well, now I'm going to go see it. Oh, did
2: you say the Illuminati? Well, I'm going to be in that seat now that I wasn't going to be in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, yeah.
0: Yeah. Hey, you're absolutely right. Well, you guys ready to talk Nicolas Cage? Oh, yeah. I'm ready to put the bunny back in the box. (laughs) So this is funny because this marks the 40th anniversary year of how long he has been in motion pictures. All the way back in 1982, he had a small part in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, or should I say Nicholas Coppola had a small part in Fast Times before he changed his name. What do you guys think of when you hear Nicholas Cage? What is your relationship to him? Tyler, what do you think?
2: So I think of a guy that gives you his all no matter what he's in. I mean, even when he's doing stinkers, horrible movies, he's he's not giving you a bad performance. He's he's putting everything into that role. Um, I, I I love Nicolas Cage because you can. I, I mean, even if you're watching a bad movie with him, he's he's over the top and it's just fun to watch him sometimes. Um, he's definitely someone that like if I was if I was an actor, I'd be a Nicolas Cage just taking all the roles and just having fun having the time of my life with them i hate how that's like like hated on like oh it'll be in anything i would too pay me to be in the i do a lot worse stuff yeah. for pay right now <laughs> like i'd be in a dumb movie that i could just be over the top and do whatever i want in it yeah absolutely so i i really enjoy nicholas cage and whatever i see him in
0: absolutely i agree and they and they talk about that in in the new movie but we'll get to that Matt, what do you think of him?
1: I mean, I I pretty much 100% agree with what Tyler said. You know, uh, he's absolutely committed to his craft, and he's someone, like like Tyler said, he's going to bring 100% to any role, regardless of the type of role. Um, I know that for, you know, and sometimes even in a bad movie, he can be like the shining piece of it. Like, I just watched, I'll, I'll give a little spoiler, I just watched Mandy last night which was my pick for, like, a newer Nick Cage movie when I was trying to sort of do some research, get the different generations of Cage, you know, get a little bit of something from everything. So I was between Mandy, Color Out of Space, and Willie's Wonderland of film newer Nick Cage films I hadn't seen yet. And I picked Mandy, and you know what? I... Uh, not the best movie, but Nick Cage was like I said the shining, the shining star of that movie. Like he brought it all. It has one of the best Nick Cage freakouts I've ever seen, and for that part, it's worth it. And I say if you're gonna go watch that movie, skip like the first half to like about an hour, hour and ten minutes in, and then watch the rest, and it'll probably you'll probably have a better time than I did. Mm. But anyway. Just to conclude here, he's, um, he's certainly one-of-a-kind, and I, I definitely I, I am a big fan.
0: Yeah, when I think of him, I just think of a performer of really uh, astounding versatility. I've already talked about this on other episodes, but he's in two of my favorite movies ever, Leaving Las Vegas and Adaptation, in which he's astounding in both he stars in one of my favorite comedies ever as Raising Arizona is one of my favorite characters, High McDonough. He often gets criticized for overacting. He's mean for overacting. It's his persona. It's all this. But one, he's he's very capable of incredible subtlety and nuance. Maybe that's not happening all the time, but I think people forget that. And even when he's histrionic, even when he's going big and bold, he's very memorable and effective in the movie that he's in tyler like you said he's he's often the centerpiece in these not great movies kind of like al pacino has been doing for the past couple of decades um and he's able to like ring out this emotional truth even when he is quote unquote acting crazy or whatever and he has had a super long career with many dips dives comebacks Setbacks, all this kind of stuff. Starts in the 80s, has a small part in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. uh, And then he's kind of a breakout in Valley Girl, this kind of teen comedy. Very praised his performance, and it kind of put him on the scene. Of course, he's uh, Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, so he made some movies with him Rumblefish, The Cotton Club, Peggy Sue Got Married. He's very funny in. And he's also in this film called birdie this is a very good film uh it's one of his earlier ones it's an awesome pairing of him and matthew modine it's about two friends who are traumatized by their time in vietnam and one of them matthew modine acts as though he's a bird afterward very committed performance from modine uh cage is playing the straight man in this scenario this movie has one of the most tonally inappropriate endings that i've ever seen in my life the first 99% of the story is dramatic, hard to watch at times, and then the very ending made my jaw drop by how much it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie. I had like, is, it's over kind of moment. I'm not going to say what it is, Uh, Because I don't, it's one of those things I couldn't fully articulate and you'd get the full effect of. The movie is very good itself, it doesn't ruin it or anything. So if you're interested in a good drama, go check that out and then let me know how far on the floor your jaw dropped from this ending that doesn't fit with the movie at all. I'm assuming you guys haven't seen Birdie. I have not seen Birdie. Now I am going to. I have not. (laughs) Yeah. Just, I I cannot wait for you to watch it. (laughs) Go. What? Is it, on, is it on Tubi? It is not on Tubi. I'm going to get back to you on where I watched it. I don't remember at the moment. We need to get Tubi to sponsor us. Uh, I love Tubi, so I'm down for that. 1987. Mr. Cage has two movies in this year. One is Raising Arizona. He plays High McDonough. This is the second movie from the Coen brothers. So they're building their directorial career. He's building his career. And it is a perfect matching. He is paired with one of the other iconic, I I would say now underappreciated movie stars of the time, Holly Hunter, who is also hilarious in this it's one of the best comedies ever made and he is a large reason for that he is super funny and not only is funny but has heart in it too the ending monologue is probably like the sweetest thing that the Coens have ever done um, you know cause they're not, not saccharine filmmakers by any stretch of the imagination but I, I really love him in this movie you guys like Raising Arizona? I love Raising Arizona <laughs> I I didn't get to that one yet that was one of the ones do I did have time for. Love it. And then, in the same year as that comedy, he has Moonstruck. Super mega beloved. Very, very big movie. Him and Cher. Danny Aiello's in it. Everybody's very funny. Cher wins the Oscar for this. Um, this gets nominated for Best Picture. And I, I, I don't know. I don't personally get all of this movie. I know that sounds absurd. Um, his character in it loses his hand and he's upset at his brother because his brother asked him to cut a loaf of bread and he lost his hand to that so he's mad at his brother. I'm doing a poor explanation of it. <laughs> is that the plot of the movie? Or is that just a scene? That's part of the movie. Uh... Now, don't get me wrong, this movie's very funny and romantic but so, but, so is Cher like the nurse or something when he's recovering from his lost hand? No, Cher is engaged. I should have, I'm sorry, I should have explained the plot. Cher is engaged to Danny Aiello. Danny oh. Aiello doesn't speak to his brother, Nick Cage, because of this altercation they had over bread. Oh. And so he's like, well, yeah, I got to invite my brother to the wedding. So she has. he's away in Italy, caring for a sick mother. Cher goes to meet Nick. They fall in love. I'm also not a fan of people being with multiple siblings. I just find it—I <laughs> don't know—there's something like, ugh, like really, of everybody in the world. But who am I to judge? So incredibly big year for him, 1987, and then the next year we get Vampire's Kiss. Let's
1: go! Oh
0: my gosh! Right, Tyler, you, you want to take this one? Ah,
2: uh, yes, I do. I actually just watched it. <laughs> yesterday again for the second time this movie is absolutely nuts like this is the poster child for nick cage overacting this is like all the all the memes and stuff this this is this is the catalyst behind it just he talks in this bizarre accent that i don't understand what it's supposed to be throughout the entire movie like every line is delivered so oddly and it the plot is hilarious it's basically this guy meets a girl uh and like, while they're getting intimate, he, she bites him, and he thinks that she's a vampire, and he thinks he's turning into a vampire. <laughs> so he just literally gets more, like, psychotic as the movie goes on. He's just treating his secretary awful. Uh, like, he's running through the streets, just, just yelling at people to kill him because he's a vampire. Fun fact about this movie, those were j- real people just walking the streets of New York. Oh my so Lord. they didn't know they were being filmed. This relatively unknown actor came up to them, covered in blood, with a wooden pole, and said, "Kill me! I'm a vampire!" Screaming at them as they like flee. <laughs> uh, so that that's definitely interesting. This movie apparently like was just chaos to shoot. So <laughs> and it's really shown in how, how much of a mess the movie is. But 100, you've seen the memes from it. Just just give this
0: yeah. movie a watch. I'm very curious now. Do you think that the people that they kept in the film, the real citizens, you think they still tell that story? Probably. I would. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I'd be telling that to everyone I meet. Have you seen Vampire's Kiss? (laughs) Uh, Excellent. Yeah, this is one of the first sightings of the little more over-the-top nature uh, that we would see later. We get into the 90s, some tour work. Also the comedy stage, you know, we get Wild at Heart, him working with David Lynch, Red Rock West, kind of noirish film. And then, like I said, we get the uh the the comedy, the kind of four-quadrant comedy, adult comedy, H- honeymoon in Vegas, where there are parachuting elvises everywhere. Uh, that's a funny movie. I like that one. Guarding Tess, it could happen to you. Trapped in Paradise. And then we hit 95. And this is where Leaving Las Vegas comes in. This is about him as, based on the book by John O'Brien, Nick Cage is a a fired screenwriter who moves to Hollywood to drink himself to death. He meets Sarah, played by the pitch-perfect, nobody's ever been better, Elizabeth Shue, uh, who is a sex worker who begins a relationship with him. He's wonderful. He goes to really dark depths. It's a very hard movie to watch, but I have watched it 9 billion times. Matt, you just watched this for the first time recently, right?
1: Yeah, just recently. Um, it is it is very good. I, I enjoyed it even even more than I was expecting to. I mean, you sing such high praises of it, and I was thinking, no, oh, this is going to be pretty good. But this movie actually kind of... It honestly floored me for a bit. Just because it's, it's a very strong like a very a very strong takeaway from it there's like a lot to think about and it's just a very powerful subject it's bittersweet at the end like um yeah it's it's just so well made well acted i even even well directed i even like the uh the score like a lot of the
0: jazz music playing in the background i've really dug that some of the best music sting has ever done um i one and only love angel eyes this is made by my figure. I just think there's not another movie that's like this that just doesn't have the atmosphere of this movie. Uh, I mean, he won... This is his Oscar winner. This is the one time he's won the Oscar. He beat Richard Dreyfuss for Mr. Holland's Opus, another movie that deserves a re-examination and a, a discussion. Anthony Hopkins in Nixon, Nixon, Sean Penn in Dead Man Walking, and Massimo Truisi for Il Postino. So, you know, he... he Made it out on the top of the pile that year, and I think it's well-deserved. Still think Elizabeth Shue should have won, but eh, what does it matter what I say? (laughs) The rest of the 90s. So after that, his follow-up to his Oscar winner is three of the most iconic action movies that there have ever been. And I feel like this is where many, many people have their impression of who he is. I'm talking about Con Air, Face Off, and The Rock. And then we get Gone in 60 Seconds a couple of years later. But which of these is your guys' favorite? You want to go, Tyler? I'll,
2: I'll say The Rock is just because I've loved The Rock for so long. But I mean, Con Air is great too. I was not a fan of Gone in 60 Seconds.
0: Oh yeah, I wasn't. That that was just an afterthought. That's not oh, okay. Yeah, fair. The yeah. right. right? okay. So then that's my yeah.
1: Uh, for me, it's a it's really a toss up between Con Air and The Rock for me. Although, I do have a fun story about about the movie Face-Off, if I, if I can it? monologue for a little bit. Do or it. Or provide a little anecdote. So, when I was a teenager, my dad and I took a trip over to Cleveland to check out the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, among other things, out in Cleveland. The hotel we were staying at, we were about to go get dinner, but the movie Face-Off was on, I had never seen it. Uh, so I was like, oh, this is a cool movie. Let's you know, stick around and finish the movie and then we'll go get food or whatever. In the background, I knew this because we would walked by a sign for it earlier, but John Lovitz um, had a comedy set at one of the bars across the street from the hotel we were staying at. I didn't think much of it at that point. We just were hanging out watching Face Off. So we finished Face Off, go to get in the elevator, and... Who else comes out in behind us but John Lovitz and the, um, I'm not sure if it was his girlfriend or wife or whoever, the woman he was with. And, um, it took a minute for us to register who he was, but then as soon as he started speaking in like that, (laughs) that token nasally voice that he's got, um, I forget, he didn't talk directly to us. He was arguing with his wife or girlfriend or whoever it was. (laughs) About like which floor to get off of, because it was one of those hotels where like the ground floor and the first floor both have exit or like ways to get to the lobby. It was it was set up kind of weird, but um, they ended up getting off on one floor and we got off on the other, and then as we're like walking away from the elevator, we're like wait a minute, that was John Lovitz. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then the running joke at this point is that John Lovitz was also in his room waiting. And watching the rest of Face Off before going to do whatever he and his lady friend were going to do, um. So that's uh, so that's my story about Face Off.
0: Yeah, uh, Face Off is wild. Him, him and Travolta. Only, only in nineteen ninety seven could you get the pairing of Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. Uh, although, actually, that's not true. I feel like in the past VOD decade, that could have definitely happened, <laughs> but maybe not on this big of a scale. But what if it was I, John Lovitz instead of John Travolta? <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to hear Nick Cage's impression of John Lovitz, although he wouldn't be doing a uh, face-off. i going to take his face it's off. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, so I don't know why I didn't include face-off in this one. This is my favorite of these three. I don't know why. I was ranking the other two. Yeah, kind of a second. I thought it was. Yeah, I just kind of blanked there for a second. But Face Off, absolutely, is my favorite of these three. Um, the John Woo action movies, it's just a its just a, a, a lost time. But, like, I was just watching scenes from Face Off just to kind of catch up. And, like, the shootouts in John Woo movies are, like, bullets are causing, like, explosions. Things are blowing up and flying every which way. There's slow motion every two seconds. You don't see that anymore. It's such a visceral thing. And, like, yeah. I, I miss the John Woo action style.
1: <laughs> Now, now it we're out with the John Woo, we're in with the John Wick now. <laughs>
2: that's, that's John Wick.
1: There's no Dubs yeah, every anymore. Action movie is John
0: Wick.
2: <laughs> I, you know, there was kind of like a it was like Die Hard, John Woo, John Wick. Because I remember it used to be like, oh, it's Die Hard on a boat, it's Die Hard on a like wherever the thing was well, yeah. taking place. <laughs> it's,
0: or we could just say it's an action movie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, it's it's got to be one of those. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I The Rock uh he's Nick Cage is so excellent at playing like someone who is out of their element but still like daring in The Rock and a wonderful pairing with Sean Connery too. My favorite is Conair. I think Tyler for maybe the same reasons you like The Rock and Face Off. I've just loved it the longest. It's a movie I adore. The Shot where they zoom in on him as he sees his wife and daughter as Trisha Yearwood, How Do I Live plays, is one of my favorite in all of movie dumb of any time. I can't explain it to you why. I just love to look at that. Uh, I don't know what that says about me, but it's great. Nick Cage you was getting a lot of
2: usage out of the city of Las Vegas. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's from Las Vegas, I think. I'm pretty oh, sure is he? Is. I was watching a uh, like a wired interview of him, and I think he was talking about how he's from Las Vegas.
0: No, oh, excellent. Maybe we can plan a trip. Uh, the next year, 98, he's got City of Angels and Snake Eyes. City of Angels is a romantic drama. It's a remake of the Vim Vender's film Wings of Desire," which is a movie that is close to my heart and I absolutely love. City of Angels not a great movie but it speaks to his star power it's him and meg ryan and this movie a romantic fantasy drama mind you where he plays an angel who comes to life made almost 200 million dollars damn is that is that even close to happening in 2022 not
2: even remotely like there is no chance that would
0: ever happen now <laughs> no no and this movie, like in my opinion, isn't even that good. Like, If you're interested in City of Angels, just go watch Wings of Desire, because that's an incredible movie. City of Angels, not as much. He's also got Snake Eyes. This is his Brian De Palma movie. Um, I don't know if it has a super huge reputation now, but it was written by David Koepp. De Palma did it. Nick Cage is starred in it. Seems made for greatness. Um, I don't think any of their most acclaimed work, though.
1: Our friends over at Shoot the Flick just covered this movie in case anyone wants to
0: hear more about it. Oh, yeah, they're awesome, so go listen to that. 99, maybe the best movie year ever. He has 8mm, which is an unhinged movie, not for the faint of heart. You guys 8mm fans? I
2: have never seen 8mm in its entirety.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I can see why. There's definitely like a... uh, I don't... I don't know if this is good for me. <laughs> kind of vibe to 8mm.
2: <laughs> I can see that, yeah.
0: Uh, and he also has Bringing Out the Dead. This is where he worked with Martin Scorsese. This is about uh, an EMT driving through the mean streets of New York. Uh, Ving Rames is really cool in this. And it's it's a good movie. Um, Cliff Curtis is also great in this. I just wanted to shout out Cliff Curtis. Love Cliff <laughs> Curtis. But it's a good movie again. I don't, nobody's greatest work, but I like it a lot. Uh, it's another team up between Paul Schrader and Scorsese.
1: Does he um, does he hold up a zero alcohol <laughs> I was make Heineken? Skin. <laughs> does he, does he no, hold up a zero doesn't. alcohol Heineken and go zero alcohol, bro?
0: <laughs> I was also gonna
1: make an ambulance reference. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I. We have to, have to give it to Aza Gonzalez. She did that without missing a beat, like it was part of the story, all right? So she, I, my applause, my hat's off to her.
1: It was part of the story. She had to explain how she
0: could drink on her lunch break. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> as, as an EMT. All right, as we get into the, the 2000s, the first decade of the new millennium, we get a period of family films, some tour work, And this is kind of before things go off the rails for a long time. Until our kind of modern age, this is like sort of the last legs of like really great, at least filmography for a while. You guys can agree or disagree with me as we go on here. But we get some family films, Family Man, National Treasure and the sequel, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, G-Force, Astro Boy. He's doing some voice work here. Any of these films you guys really like? I remember I was a big fan of National Treasure as a kid, and I'm not anymore.
1: <laughs> Wait, what? I, I was a big fan of National Treasure as a kid, and I still am. Okay, <laughs> great, great I freaking love National Treasure. I just watched it again as one of the movies I was preparing for this episode for. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's PG. It's nothing too crazy. It's I mean, I wouldn't say it's low stakes because he's stealing the Declaration of Independence, but, I mean, it's... <laughs> Sean Bean plays a villain and he doesn't die. Like it's 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 a good like general audience's adventure historical adventure movie and i I, I mean I loved it growing up and I like I said I, I have a soft spot for it now.
0: I know I saw it as a kid. I remember, like, very few images of it, and then I think I've just never thought about it again. Uh, every... And then only saw it in memes.
2: I, I remember the scene where he's, like, holding up the Declaration of Independence, blocking bullets with
1: me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just it's just got a certain charm to it. Like, I, I don't know. I like historical stuff a lot of the time. And, wh- I mean, whether or not his historical facts... That are sort of shoehorned in to make sense with the plot, no matter whether the whether or not the historical accuracy of this movie holds up It's besides the point. It's just a no, lot. It's, it's just a lot no. of fun. I, I it's it's, fun. I think it's episode.
2: I think it's a hundred percent accurate. There's <laughs> a so there's a map on the decoration. And go go to the go to the National Archives and go check it out. <laughs> go steal it for yourself. <laughs> uh,
1: um, also, an impressive performance from Diane Kruger, in my opinion. At least, yeah, at least compared pretty. to some other stuff I've seen her in
0: recently, <laughs> three <Yeah>, five five. <laughs> Fair <Right>. enough.
1: <laughs> it's better than the
2: three five five. I will give it that.
0: That's our new rating system. Is it better than the three five five?
1: Yeah, most times, yes. Most a lot, a lot of times, almost all the time, yes.
0: There is also still a lot of auteur work in this this first decade uh, adaptation. Again, one of my favorite movies ever. Spike Jones directed, Charlie Kaufman wrote it. Well, Charlie Kaufman and Donald Kaufman, who is not a real person, wrote it. Uh, this is about Charlie Kaufman trying to adapt the book The Orchid Thief by Susan Arlene, which is a real book that I've read and is wonderful. And it's about him adapting it, but also about Susan Orlean interviewing John LaRoche. And it is... The most mind bendy but so like every time I think of it, I love it more. It's so wonderful, and Nick Cage is. I, this is one of the biggest disappearing acts that he's ever done. I like. I know it's Nick Cage when I'm watching it, but he he feels like the embodied. At least you know it's not going to be the real person Charlie Kaufman, but like the the cinematic spirit of what Charlie Kaufman wanted himself or his character to be on screen. And he also plays another hilarious character. He's wonderful in this. Yeah, I 100%
1: agree with you on all that. I um, after you mentioned it on the podcast previously, all you had to say was a Spike Jones directed, Charlie Kaufman written adaptation of whatever. At that point, I was sold, and I, I'm not sure quite. I'm not quite sure what I pictured when you told me that. But this was that and everything more
0: yeah yeah. I, <laughs> I, I, there's no it. way that i could tell you all that it was <laughs> in words no way I, it
1: was a, such a wild ride i mean i would expect nothing less from from the team that went into yeah. it i mean the guy that wrote being john malkovich this is exactly how i picture this is exactly what i would picture yeah like it's just it's it's fantastic and nick cage gives a great double performance
0: Bonus: We get a great Meryl Streep and just like a phenomenal Chris Cooper oh, yeah. in this movie too. He, Chris Cooper, won the uh, the Best Supporting Actor Oscar this year. Yeah, uh, Cage was nominated. Matchstick Men talked about it on another episode. Ridley Scott. This is a con movie with Cage, Sam Rockwell. Really great movie. Really funny. Allison Lohman's great in it. Also, uh, I've mentioned Cage. Good portrayal of obsessive compulsive disorder. You don't. I don't see that a lot in movies. Again, it's it's still a little over the top at certain points to be cinematic, but um I always appreciate that when when a good representation comes along.
2: Uh, Tony Shaloub had a good representation
0: as Monk as Monk.
2: <laughs> I loved Monk. So if you're going to talk bad yeah. about Monk, you no, better no, get no. out of. Here.
0: <laughs> no, I, I like I like Monk. Monk's funny. Uh, also Lord of, Lord of War is the Andrew Nickel. Yeah, Tyler, go ahead on this one.
2: So Lord of War is Nick Cage and Michael Morbius are brothers.
1: And oh. <laughs> yeah, Jared Leto plays his brother. Did he did he start calling him Milo for some unexplicable reason? <laughs> yeah, it just becomes Milo
2: midway through but this is a. I think this is an underrated movie. I feel like a lot, not a lot of people have seen it. I might be lying. I may just not be talking to the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a it's a really good movie. I love it. It's got one of the coolest opening scenes I've ever seen in a movie, and just one of my favorite Nick Cage roles.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is really good. I think he really nails one scene. The scene later on with Ethan Hawke, if you know what I'm talking about. I think he's mm-hmm. great in that. Um, I don't think this movie is as good as it could have been, but I like it a lot. Uh, we also get The Weatherman. He's working with Gore Verbinski. It's about a family man, a weatherman who kind of has a crisis. Uh, Cage, I think, has stated that this is one of his most personal films, and he's very funny in it, very dramatic. I like The Weatherman. Uh, World Trade Center is where he works with Oliver Stone. in For a movie called World Trade Center by Oliver Stone... Maybe not as much kind of like conspiracy Oliver Stone as we had grown accustomed to throughout the last couple of decades. Uh, Very interesting on that one. He makes an appearance in Grindhouse, the Tarantino and Rodriguez, ode to Grindhouse films. And also Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, which is a Werner Herzog film. I will
2: say this is the most underrated Nick Cage movie. I love this movie. I feel like no one has seen this. It's good. Oh, uh, it's it's it's, good. it's a really incredible. Like he basically plays the villain as the protagonist. He's like a really corrupt police officer, and just goddamn every scene. He's just so great and like so over the top, and it works so well.
0: Love it when they just put "bad" in front of a title, and that's the movie. It's actually title. a
2: sequel slash reboot of "Bad Lieutenant," so with um, uh, Harvey Keitel originally. So,
0: bad lieutenant, bad teacher, bad judge, bad Santa, bad grandpa bad grandpa. <laughs> uh, also a couple of superhero movies. We get Kick-Ass and Ghost Rider. I was never a big Kick-Ass fan. I just kind of didn't get it. I wasn't. Um, <laughs> no, I think he's pretty he's funny in it kind of. I don't know. It's n- not for me. Ghost Rider is good. It's okay. Uh, I don't really like either of these movies, you guys. Ghost Rider is another one that gets the nostalgic goggles
1: um treatment for me like i it's probably objectively probably not the best movie or superhero movie but i uh, I, I liked it when i was a kid yeah i enjoyed i uh, i enjoyed it quite a bit when i was a kid so the nostalgia factor kind of plays into it for me so here's a fun fact i have the opposite
2: view because i saw this movie as a kid with someone i absolutely hate um, so like I I have the opposite. I don't have. I don't even remember the movie. I just remember seeing it with them. So that that made the, the, the seeing it bad. So it's a bad movie for me.
0: <laughs> wow. Uh, you never gave Ghost Rider a it's it's fair shot. I remember not try- even
2: liking it that
1: much as a kid, which is <laughs> actually I'm trying to think. My my equivalent of that is probably The Fault in Our Stars. <laughs> Cause I saw that with someone I really hate And uh
0: I I didn't expect us to go there at all Ghost Rider And The Fault in Our Stars Basically the same movie Double feature At the Silver Screen Savers Double feature Wow Which one of those would you want to watch first? If you had to watch both in a row Ghost feel,
2: Rider. Uh, if I had to watch both in a row, I feel like I'd want to see Ghost Rider second. <laughs> like... Yeah. This,
0: no, it'd be, this... it'd, be,
1: it'd be like the drive-in. You know, you watch Ghost Rider once. You know, watch the first movie, and then you can leave in between. I'm you sorry, we've gotten so off but... of topic with the topic with this.
0: It's all right. Let's let's move on. Well, the it's okay because after that we have the 2010s, which is. Not completely, but largely a decade of VOD movies. Not saying all of them are bad, um, but not not a ton of them high profile. I haven't seen too many. 2013, he actually had a pretty good year. He voiced in the Croods, um, successful <laughs> enough to I, it's successful enough to get a sequel. You know, have you seen um, Croods 2, though? I have not. I'm 44 years
2: old. Why? You yeah. seen
0: and I adore animation. Um, haven't seen Croods two. Haven't found a reason to see that one yet. The Frozen Ground is kind of like it's a fun crime procedural. He is a cop. I don't remember where. Some very cold place. Uh, if you're ever in the mood for like a cozy crime movie, reunites him with John Cusack. That's good. And then this year he has Joe, which was done by David Gordon Green, who has a cameo in the beginning of Massive Talent. It's about a rural man uh, defending a younger boy from an abusive father. He said that this is also one of his most personal movies. Joe's actually a very good movie. So if you're looking for a good one from this era of Cage, I would recommend that one above most others.
2: That movie features one of the actors I do not like.
0: Ty, Ty Sheridan, Sheridan? Sheridan yes. <laughs> I think Ty Sheridan's actually really good in that movie. Uh, he's still still a kid in that one, but I think actually think he's really good. Uh, I so like I said, I haven't seen a ton of these, um, but I wanted to watch a couple. One that I watched is from 2015. It's called "Pay the Ghost." <laughs> the The title intrigued me. It is about him. He's a dad, but he's like a workaholic dad who doesn't spend enough time with his son. They live in New York. He takes him to this Halloween public party and loses him on Halloween. The rest of the movie is him searching for his son and then they discover an old ancient curse in the end. It's not very good. <laughs> yes.
1: I love the love the supernatural twist.
0: Yeah, it it really comes like very well <laughs> So one of the <laughs> I'm not I'm going to spoil Pay the Ghost, I'm sorry. Fast forward a minute if you don't want to hear Pay the Ghost spoil, but this co-star Sarah Wayne Callies, otherwise known as Lori Grimes on The Walking Dead, her most uh, notable role. Uh, not a fan. Listen, I I'm going to I defend her. I like her. <laughs> she is often given roles where she that are thankless and she doesn't deserve it, but she is his wife Um, and when he thinks that there's something ghostly going on, she's like, no, no way. And the way that she is convinced is that she's home alone one night and just like a child's scooter starts moving on its own. (laughs) Which don't get me wrong, in real life, freaky as hell, but in in a movie, if I'm, this is like in the middle of the movie too. And this is one of the big scares, and so that that tells you all you need to know about pay the ghost. So you're telling me this has more more ghosts than the night house did? Uh, well, the night house was a demon, so it, yes, yes, it did.
2: The, de- the night house had nothing. Sorry. Yeah, the <laughs> night house had
0: nothing. <laughs> There's a, there's a little joke for all the, the Nighthouse watchers out there. All there three of you are like,
2: it. yeah. <laughs> I understood <laughs> that Again, reference.
0: <laughs> wanted to love it so much and did not. Uh, the then late 2017, early 2018, we get a bit of a revival. Mm. We have Mom and Dad, which is, I believe, Selma Blair, where they're trying to kill their kids, I think. I don't know if that was a big hit, but I remember it like being, I heard about it yeah um, and was interested. And then the next year we get Mandy, which it seemed to kind of thrust him back up into a high profile spotlight. Not that he ever leaves, but you know, kind of wax and wanes. But Matt, speak to this one. Okay, so
1: I did not like Mandy as much as I thought I would. Mm. Like I said before, it it does have its merits. It it has one of the best Nick Cage overacting freakouts I've ever seen. Possibly the one of his career. And I mean the premise of like him on a revenge mission to fight demons and cultists and with a, you know, a bloody mess of a revenge quest, you know. That all was all well and great, but the problem is It doesn't get to that point until over halfway through the movie.
0: Yeah.
1: It literally spends over an hour establishing who Mandy is and why he's fighting for her. Which, that's fine. Spend some time. Flesh out the characters. It's cool. But, don't... They they just took way too much time and it definitely could have used some editing, in my opinion. Like, picture this. Picture you watching John Wick... And you know, everyone, most people know by now. John Wick's motivation is the gangster's son killed his dog, and then that he seeks revenge and goes on his revenge quest. Now, picture if John Wick, in John Wick, they the part where the dog gets killed didn't happen until an hour and ten minutes into the movie. Yeah, it's
0: requires some patience.
1: It requires some patience. It you know. It's just like that, except in Mandy, there's no dog, so it's not nearly as compelling. <laughs> I'm sorry to all so the you're Mandy saying fans out This is out John there.
0: Wick without the dog.
1: Well, John Wick means like Hellraiser meets. Oh, I see. Meets oh, like wow. uh, the Hills Have Eyes or something.
0: Well, in the same year, uh, he was also in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. He was Spider-Man Noir very funny character very cool character in the next year i think can i bring up a
2: 2018 movie before we move on yes but i need to bring in uh it's called between worlds and i specifically bring this up because you you mentioned the sibling thing you don't like in movies oh boy! well this is a movie where nick cage has a sexual relationship with a mother and her daughter (laughs)
0: oh (laughs) hey those aren't siblings though not great
2: (laughs) It, it, a horrible, horrible movie, very dumb, but it does give us the line, which is the whole reason that this movie, like, it's good that this movie exists. He, like, fights off this guy who's harassing a woman and goes, now you're fighting a man-gator. <laughs> it's just
1: incredible, incredible delivery, and, like, I don't know how he said it with a straight face, to be honest. That, you know what, that's true. Mandy did have a really good Nick Cage line, too, with, you ripped my shirt. <laughs>
0: 2019, we get a a good movie of his, Color Out of Space. Uh, This is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story about a family who is overtaken mentally and physically after an asteroid from space lands on their farm. Uh, Cage's middle-aged father has a sweet relationship with his wife. This movie accomplishes a very tricky thing in that it's a horror movie with no rules, and things just kind of happen as they go along sometimes movies like that really just kind of like go off the deep end or they don't make sense this one it really works uh tyler you watched this as well right mm-hmm. how was it i really enjoyed it yeah it's really good and the next year we get pig well actually 2020 only brings us Jitsu and the Crude's a new age as previously stated didn't didn't watch Crude's the new age did you watch Jitsu? didn't watch wow. jiu-jitsu i wanted to review I've i've heard not so good things about jiu-jitsu i have also one of the reasons I, I did not watch it i believe
2: even though like the poster is him he's in it for like 10 minutes if i'm not mistaken <laughs> like he just oh. has a
1: scene
0: so like bring brian cranston and godzilla <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. that was a massive trick <laughs> 2021 we get pig which is a wonderful movie a reminder of the subtlety of nick cage he he's wonderful and this is in this is a wonderful movie um can't wait to see more from michael sarnofsky
1: can i use that as a quick segue to uh just reiterate we do have a giveaway going on mm-hmm. uh to celebrate over a thousand downloads since we started this little podcast um we are giving away blu-ray copies of spider-man no way home Cyrano, and pig So if you want to enter, just uh, keep up on our social media. Give Give us a review over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, wherever you get your podcasts. Go ahead and leave us a review, screenshot it, send it over to us on DM on social media, or email it to us. We're running this through May 17th. That is a Tuesday, and we'll be announcing it on the upcoming episode that we record that week. So... Thank you all for your continued support, and we look forward to announcing the winners.
0: All right, thank you very much. With that, we're going to take a I short sh- break. I want to bring oh, a Michael yeah. Sarnowski fact
2: in. His new movie okay. was just given a title. It's A Quiet Place Day One. So he's, he's doing a oh. prequel to A oh.
0: Quiet Place next. I kind of hope this... Franchise doesn't go off the rails. <laughs> Apparently, it's supposed to be unrelated,
2: so this is not with John Krasinski's family. Oh, so it's family. like in
0: in the quiet place universe. Yeah, I, b- I believe. All yes. right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. All right. With that, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the unbearable weight of massive talent. After a brief word from our podcast friends.
1: Hey, you there? Do you like podcasts? Are you tired of the bullshit? Well, this is not
0: the podcast for you.
2: Actually, it is. And we are... The
0: Lords of Swine! We discuss nerd culture. And we drop every Tuesday... On any platform.
2: We're literally
0: everywhere. (laughs) All right, we're back talking about The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. This is about a fictional version of an out on its luck, Nicolas Cage, who earns money by attending a billionaire's birthday party where he gets caught up in a web of crime and espionage. This is directed by Tom Gormican, who previously directed That Awkward Moment, the movie with, uh, I believe, Zac Efron and Michael B. Jordan. This is written by Gormican and Kevin Etten. Matt, what did you think of this? Would you recommend it?
1: You know what? I really enjoyed this movie. I had fun with it. It. Um, I I could see how it would be a bit divisive, and I can see how it's a bit rep- repetitive in hindsight. But in all honesty, though, like I, I think it's just about what the trailer. Um, about what the trailer described, I uh, I had a lot of fun as a Nick Cage fan and as a fan of just like irreverent sort of like action comedies. I mean, it's pretty, pretty solid. It's a lot of fun. It's meta. It's self-referential, but it does it in, I think, a very clever way. I um, love Nick Cage. I love Pedro Pascal. They played out. They played off of each other very well. Uh, Honestly, the whole cast was pretty solid. Um, Overall, I would recommend it. At least give it a shot if you're a Nick Cage fan. If you're a Pedro Pascal fan, even, because Pedro Pascal honestly kind of carries it even more than Nick Cage. As mm-hmm. much as I like the movie, I do have to say that. Um, definitely worth a che- worth checking out, at least. Tyler? So I, I will start it
2: by saying I like this movie. I feel like I'm going to come off as kind of like feeling like it's, it's seeming like I didn't. I like this movie. I had fun. I enjoyed it. Um, but I still feel like it was a wasted opportunity. Uh, I was really digging the... Um, like the plot of it, like when I read it before, I saw the trailer, like I thought they could have done so much more with it. For a guy who over like is is like an over actor and things, like they really didn't use that at all in this. I felt like Nick Cage wasn't used to his potential in this, which was odd. Um, Pedro Pascal was great as always. I love Pedro Pascal. Um, but I just think the trailers like spoiled everything that I found funny in the movie and like it just didn't I was expecting it to be a lot better. And I was kind of disappointed with it, but I still I had fun. Um, just I felt like the whole family storyline was just kind of forced; didn't really need to be in there. Um, but because it just kind of added like a fake depth to it. That like I get it was supposed to be a yeah. fictionalized version of him, but like it it, it I, I, like I thought he was gonna be play more of a Nick Cage, not like how they how they did it.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a descending progression of opinions here because I did not like this movie at all, and I don't understand it. I really wanted to enjoy it. I was very impressed by the trailer. I was rooting for this movie. But this should operate on a couple of levels, should work in a couple of ways. Number one, it should be fun. To me, it's not. That's subjective. I think most people would like this. It's got a couple of good moments, but for me, it's full of recycled jokes it's full of recycled plot points. I know it's meant to imitate kind of a crazy Nick Cage flick, but this just feels like a half-baked story that references Nick Cage movies every once in a while. And number- I, I, Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: I just kind of wanted to agree with that. Like By the end of it, like I just felt like it took a generic movie and just threw Nick Cage into it. And yeah. like,
0: that's where I felt it squandered it. I don't think that there's a reason for this to be a Nicolas Cage movie, except saying, "Oh yeah, guarding Tess. Oh yeah, The Rock." I just but, I didn't get much out of it.
2: Yeah, and at the same time, I think that if this wasn't a Nick Cage movie, it wouldn't have even existed. Yeah, because it's so generic without him.
1: But I also agree that it didn't really need him. Yes. And- so so is that? Do you think that's what they did with Uncharted too? Because I'm this is sounding a lot I, like our uncharted thoughts. I 100% agree that uncharted was just a generic movie that they threw an IP on top of. So yes, I agree. And and Mark Wahlberg. Which yeah, which Tom brings Hallard. me to a question I just thought of that I want to ask you guys.
0: All right. What if this was a Mark Wahlberg movie instead of a Nick Cage movie? Huh. Well, I'm going to throw you one, one guys a little bit later, but let's So like same <laughs> idea it's playing on Wahlberg's persona. Yeah. I, do you think I'm not saying he wouldn't? Do you think that Wahlberg would be game for something like that? I don't know.
2: He, he's made fun of himself in the past. Yeah, he like has. He's a good say "Hi
0: to your mother for me" thing. He's a good sport. I'm just wondering if if there would be a whole movie. I would watch it. I would be entertained. I mean, I don't know if um,
1: I don't know if Wahlberg necessarily has the depth of a career that Nick Cage has, where he would be able to make a movie like this this year. Hmm. Maybe in another five ten years. Yeah, maybe. Honestly, like if they were to do like a whole series of these with like, maybe not the exact same plot, but like different self-referential movies about prolific actors. Although that's a big stretch saying Mark Wahlberg is
0: prolific, but that's besides the point. Um, he is. I think that'd be kind of an interesting thing. Well, I was gonna throw this at you later, but let me do it now. So we think about Nick Cage. We think about. A filmmaker who's been going for a very long time, seems to be a workaholic, makes multiple movies a year, if not several, is known for being over the top, but is very beloved and is very capable of subtlety and genuine great performances. Let me throw this at you. This version of, the mov- of a movie with Samuel L. Jackson? Hmm. I think that's the perfect comparison to this. That, yeah. Yeah. I think that, that'd work well, well actually. Yeah. I would like to see that, and I think it is just just as well deserved and just appropriate.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But as a meta commentary, you know, it's meant to be a comment on Cage's movies, but also like his public persona. And to me, this movie, it just makes it seem as though Nick Cage is just a B movie actor that everyone loves, and it completely ignores the performances he's capable of and he's done and many of the best projects that he's been a part of. To me, it, it just ignores so much of what makes him great. This feels like an impression of like the 21st century meme of Nick Cage instead of like the totality of his career, and maybe I'm just being like a fuddy-duddy about that, but th- that was the impression that I got from this. I would still recommend it to Nick Cage fans or to people who are just looking for a fun comedy because most everyone else on the planet who has seen this seems to have a good time with it. I just didn't really enjoy it at all.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I like, I, I mean, I had fun with it. I didn't really take it super seriously, you know, which I think if you're willing to shut your brain off for a bit and just have fun.
0: Yeah. I, I didn't have any fun. Uh, I also was confused by this Nikki. Cage character, <laughs> the young version of himself. I kind of like the. I like the debate. I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just going to say I didn't even care if that made sense or not. I just thought it was just like, it's like it bombastic didn't... and funny.
0: Yeah, not that it didn't make sense. I actually liked the conflict between, like the the Nick Cage, the fictional version who was like, oh, you know, I'm trying to get back in the game or whatever. <laughs> And Nicky Cage saying, oh, you want to be a movie star? But first of all, this has been done way better in the film Birdman, which I recommend everybody watch. And two, the kiss where he's kissing himself was just really odd. I, I couldn't get into that. First of all, Nick Cage gives the best smooches.
1: Second of all... Yeah, that was weird. I, uh, I did not like Birdman the first time I saw it. Well, the only time I saw it.
0: Yeah, so that's a movie that is... So. Now, just like getting a lot of crap, um, it's kind of in the tradition of best picture winners that are now pooped on. Um, I still love that movie tremendously. I've, this is not a Birdman podcast, but if you're looking for this kind of theme, uh, I, I would watch that movie. Oh, well, then
2: I'm on the wrong podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know this what This isn't act- the Birdman hour.
0: <laughs> no, it's not the Birdman hour. That wasn't all preamble to, to Birdman. <laughs> it's all connected because the
1: actress that played Mandy was also in Birdman. Yeah. Andrea Riseborough.
0: Right. Also, a much better meta commentary movie, if you consider it, about Michael Keaton, Batman or Birdman. I'm sorry, but I'll get off of Birdman. <laughs> um, yeah, the the I don't. It was just odd I laugh at a lot of weird dark stuff in movies but the kiss I just like I couldn't get on the wavelength see I'm that like,
2: was one of the only genuinely like funny like
0: laughs what I had <laughs> no.
1: not to keep going back to Birdman but what if Birdman is actually Michael Keaton and Vulture not Michael Keaton and Batman
0: well because uh, Birdman is a quality movie and the Morbius cameo <laughs> was the laziest thing that I have seen <laughs> that's why <laughs> Um, Spider-Man Homecoming, very good movie. Like that one a lot. Morbius, no. Uh, So one thing that I really did... This might be my favorite thing about this movie. Tyler, what you were saying before about how people, like, rag on movie stars, actors, for, like, oh, his career's gone down the toilet, or, oh, like, it's... (laughs) it's incredibly difficult to just do good movies like that's impossible to just do good movies also like you said if you got paid even like some odd thousand dollars to go to cool locations and do the thing that you love why would you not so (laughs) i i like that this movie kind of made that point of like he's like acting is my job why would i not do it all that i can so good point made there um one question i had this movie talks about current trends in hollywood i don't really know what it was saying at all this mainly comes when um javi pedro pascal's character and nick are talking about um the script that they're gonna write and oh is it gonna be a character driven drama or is it gonna be this big explosive action (laughs) I just feel like they were naming things, and I don't I don't know what they were trying to say with this. Do you guys have any clue? I,
2: so, based on the ending, I was also confused on that, which when we get into spoilers, I'll expand a bit. But just based how it ended, I was confused at like what the, the statement was that they were trying to say about
1: Hollywood.
0: I don't know. With, I don't... Go ahead, Matt.
1: Were they trying to actually say anything, or just point out that there's, like, the two heads... Going at each other, and that was the statement that people are busy bickering back and forth about this.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's a comment that a movie d bag like me would even ask the question, but I I don't know. I was just like eh. Also, I don't I don't need the obligate in every comedy. I don't need the obligatory drug scene. That does not. I I don't need it. I I want to be done with that.
1: I enjoyed that scene. I I like that whole sequence. I thought it was hilarious. I did that with the, you know, they thought the people were looking
0: at him. I'm happy you enjoyed it. Yeah, that was great. I this is one of those movies where I am just in the minority on it, and um, while I wish I enjoyed it, I'm happy that everybody else did. So that's good. You guys get ready to get into a couple of spoilers here. Not too much.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So, spoilers from here on out for Massive Talent.
1: Spoiler warning, if you have not seen the following movie, please go watch that movie and come back or accept the consequences.
0: I wouldn't say there's actually too many spoilers to be had in this movie, Um, but Tyler, you wanted to expand upon the ending where we learn that this whole thing has been recreated by Javi, and fake Nick into a movie
2: yeah and I just thought it was like so that's what got him back to being a star was this generic action movie like it literally just ends in such a cliche way and then like there's a whole crap like that just was that a statement on like how bad movies are or like I like I don't understand
0: all right maybe it's just like oh this is so crowd-pleasing that
2: like the whole movie, which I'm—I mean, we're supposed to—I mean, I think we're supposed to be led to believe that the movie, as it happened, was made into the movie at the end that the people are watching, and it was such a generic, boring action movie and ended up being. So like, why would that be like a catalyst for, unless that was a commentary? I don't know.
0: I, I don't know either. It it was fine. I please give Demi more more to do in movies also I heard that she was replaced by like nine actresses there are rumors of 72 actresses who were gonna be in that three second part was one of them Jada Pinkett Smith no one was not <laughs> for G.I. Jane too. yeah we let's, let's, <laughs> let's move beyond it let's move beyond it <laughs> Uh, you guys have any more thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent? No. <laughs> Honestly, no. Yeah. All right. So, if you have any thoughts on the movie, if you have any thoughts about Nick Cage, anything in the future in 2022 or beyond, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, please tell a friend, a fellow movie lover. Really means a lot to us, and it goes a long way to making sure that we can create more and more content for you guys. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts, any of your podcast listening platforms, excuse me. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod. Our Facebook is Silver Podcast. Matt, where can you be found online?
1: You can find me over at Sturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That is on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Nice, Tyler. You can find me on Twitter at
2: Tyler Sutkus, S-U-T-K-U-S. And you can find me on Letterboxd. Oh, that's Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me on Letterbox at Tyler96.
0: I can be found on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallet and on Letterboxd at MGallet. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Put
1: the bunny back in the box. Keep being down to bone. Silver Screen Savers Podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallet. Our Kiss and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michel via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.